I recently spent eight weeks overseas to commentate the PTO US Open, Asian Open, and then go and do some live podcasts at the Men's Ironman World Championships. And during the trip, my sleep became awful. I literally stopped training because I was feeling terrible most days and I was just back to my old ways of struggling to fall asleep at night and then waking up during the night and not being able to fall back asleep. And because of that, when I'd get up in the mornings, I was just completely exhausted pretty much every day. And I literally know it was because I didn't take any pillar performance triple magnesium with me overseas because the day I got back home, I took it and I literally slept well. And then I've slept better and better every night since. I've started training every morning again. And I literally told someone today that I finally feel like my, myself again, like pre the overseas trip. And I know it sounds wild, but it really does make that big a difference to my sleep. And the biggest thing I notice is that because of that, I've been waking up fresh, motivated and eager to train, something I literally lost for like six or seven weeks. And I also little things like I've been eating so much healthier because I found that when I sleep crap, I just end up eating crap. But when I sleep well, I tend to eat pretty healthy. And anyway, it just reinforced to me that if you're an athlete or someone who trains or literally just wants to feel your best every day, then go to Pillar Performance's website, get yourself some triple magnesium, use the discount code HCT20 for 20% off it, start taking it 45 minutes before bed every night, and just start to see for yourself what I'm talking about now and how much better you'll feel every morning waking up after you took triple magnesium the night before. Welcome back to day two of our Women's Ironman World Championships Week special edition podcast. Today, we're joined by the great Lucy Charles Barclay. Lucy, I want to start with a bit of a race dynamics question. Do you think that you're the person who benefits most from having Taylor Nib racing this weekend? I mean, it's definitely going to change the race for sure. Um, I think it's really exciting to have Taylor here and I'm I think it's such a ballsy move from her. So um, yeah, I love that she's coming to play on, on the big island and Definitely, I guess the the way I see the race dynamic playing out is obviously the swim is is my strength and potentially I will either be swimming with Taylor or have a small gap on Taylor. Um, but then I foresee her closing that gap on the bike at some point and then having a very, very strong ally on the bike if I can hang with Taylor. So, yeah, for me, it makes the race a lot more exciting. It's nice to have someone to race with because it's an extremely lonely and long day if you don't. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited that she's coming to play and race here. So is an ideal world for you that you swim as hard as you can and not really save too much so that you can get sort of as big a gap on everyone who's behind Taylor as possible so that when she rides up to you, you and her can really create a big gap to everyone else? Um, potentially, I think it it might be a smarter move to to swim with everyone. I think we've got really strong swim firepower this year. So usually I'm going pretty hard in the swim to get a gap. Um, but yeah, maybe this year I will play a bit of a smarter move, save some energy and, and just sit in the group, but we'll have to see kind of how that plays out. But we've got more stronger swimmers here than potentially we ever have. So yeah, it could be a slightly different race dynamic than usual. Who are the women do you, that you think could sit on your feet in the water this year? 
I mean, usually the likes of Lauren Brandon will be close or on my feet. We've got Rachel Zielinski, who's a super strong swimmer, the likes of uh, Rebecca Clark and Fenella, obviously Taylor. So there's a lot of strong swimmers in the field this year. Like I said, more than I think we've ever had. So yeah, slightly different dynamic. And do you think, like, have you talked to to your team, like Reese and Dan and and have you yourself been thinking about, well, what happens if Taylor goes to the front and he's holding a power that's just a bit too high high for what I would ideally like to ride 180k at? Do I go with it or do I just sit back and, and ride my own power? I think every year in Kona, I've always done my own race, regardless of what anyone else does. I mean, Kona is a different ball game to any other Ironman. It's just brutal here. So Yes, you could be going with the front of the race, um, but this isn't a PTO race. This isn't the kind of race where I think you can just go with the front and, and hang on. This is a full Ironman, a full marathon in blistering heat at the end. So even if gaps get pretty big on that bike, they can be closed so quickly on the run if people are walking. So at the end of the day, I never really go with anyone else's race I always have to just race my own race and that seems to have played out pretty well in in the last few years so yeah I'll be sticking to my own guns and and hoping that pays off okay so now it's time to talk about the the big elephant in the room and that's the fact that you've come second at the last four Ironman world championships how do you see your what like what do you see as your best avenue to change that this this weekend and and finally take that step onto onto the top of the podium Yeah, I think every year in Kona, I've been extremely proud of my performances. Like, it's not easy to come second four times. I've had to put down incredible performances to do that. So I'm not really thinking too much about the position going into this race. I'm thinking about executing the best Ironman that I can. And I'm definitely in really great shape. I've had a really great training block and I've come here feeling confident in the work that I've done. So, yeah, I mean anything can happen in this race and yes obviously I would love to win it but anything can happen so I'm just yeah trying not to think too much about the kind of outcome goal and and not really putting any pressure on myself I just want to enjoy it I think actually last year coming into this race I wasn't sure if I would enjoy it but I actually had the most enjoyable race experience that I think I've had in a long time so if I can replicate that again this year in the suffering, enjoying it, then I think that's a win in itself. I wanted to touch on that because last year was interesting with you making that really late run in the season. Like you'd obviously been battling with injury for the the better part of the first half of the season. And then you came on the podcast earlier in the year and sort of revealed that during the summer, you'd been battling a bit of an injury this year. So you started your year a little bit injured as well. Since then, how's the body been? Have you had any injuries that you haven't been telling the world about or have you actually just been healthy and like you've got sort of finally got a big consistent block of training behind you? Yeah, there's no big dramatic injury announcements uh, leading into this race. Luckily, touch wood, I have been healthy since the last one. And I think actually the main thing that happens when when you get injured is it kind of, it can be a bit of a knock to your confidence, kind of trusting your body again. So I think it took me a little while this time to trust in my body to be able to push it again and know that actually it's not going to break it's it's happy and healthy doing the training that I'm doing so I think that's definitely been the main thing coming into this race is knowing I've had a a really good consistent block my my body's coped with a pretty demanding load of training um and I guess that's all I can really ask of myself 
Could you talk to me a little bit about that training? Have you and, and, and your team, obviously you're coached by the great Dan Larang, have you guys done anything differently in the, in the lead up to this race? Um, we haven't done anything really, I would say, massively different. The, the big change we decided to do this year was actually to do my Kona block at home. I think I've spent a lot of time away from home over the years and actually nothing beats home comfort sometimes. So it was just nice to do the block at home, kind of have the family support a little bit, be able to have the dogs as well, which I think maybe give me an extra 1% on recovery and then minus 10% on their demands for feeding and walking and playing. But um, yeah, no, it's been really nice to to do a really solid block of work at home. I think leading into the race in Singapore, I wasn't really able to do much hard, intense training because we just wasn't at the stage where my body was ready for that. But it was really nice to reintroduce that kind of work leading into Kona and be confident in the amount of work that I've done kind of doing the the heat prep at home was definitely more brutal than being somewhere in Lanzarote where it just happens naturally but at the same time you get a really good mental training kind of suffering indoors and being able to do that so hopefully that's going to pay off for me a bit in the race as well. Yeah I'm fascinated by that difference between you being at Lanzarote where it's like brutally hot and then being at home in the UK. How did you go about your heat training? Um, There was a lot of time spent in saunas, um, in a hot bath. I think both of those things used to be a luxury and now are ruined forever for me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of just just being able to tolerate heat kind of for as long as you can, putting layers on, I think. um, Yeah, just, just not really enjoying it that much when it's that hard, but being able to do the quality work not in the heat and then kind of just doing the longer, easier stuff in the heat and kind of just tolerating um, as much as I can, which, yeah, sometimes is pretty tough in the UK because, like we said, we don't really get much warm weather. We actually were quite lucky. I think it was probably the first week or so of of the training I did at home. We had like a, a freak late summer, which was quite nice but then at the same time I still decided to train indoors um, because cycling outdoors where I live isn't that great anyway so then I don't know if it was more torturous having this lovely weather outside but not actually being in it um, so actually when the weather turned a bit worse it wasn't so bad just being indoors because that's where I needed to be anyway so yeah it's definitely tough doing it at home uh, but it has some benefits as well. Can you talk to me about the the hot bars because I don't think I've ever heard a triathlete talk about that like publicly anywhere how do you use them and and how hard is it um so basically you'll you'll do a training session get your core temperature to kind of the desired place where you're going to get adaptation to the heat um kind of sustain that for as long as possible in the workout and then get straight into a, a pretty hot bath for as long as you can tolerate um Obviously, one of the key things is staying hydrated while you're doing that because you can dehydrate pretty fast and then your training the next day is going to be ruined. But um, yeah, I guess it's it's similar to a sauna. You could do it in a sauna. You can do it in a hot bath. Um, we try and kind of use the two just for a bit of variation, really. Did you find one harder than the other? Um, I would say the sauna is probably worse, but because you just feel trapped in a hot box. So um <laughs> Yeah, the bath, you can kind of, yeah, I guess you feel a little bit more free in there. But yeah, both of them are equally brutal, I think. And with with the injuries that you've had sort of over the last two years, have you and the team been able to get your running back to the point where 
you would say you're running like as much as you were pre-injuries and doing the run training you were pre-injuries? Yeah, I think um, after the last injury, my body seems to have recovered pretty well and we was able to build up the run mileage to where we really wanted it to be. And I think actually um, I do feel confident in my run. I think it's different running a marathon at a slightly slower intensity than maybe the races like in the PTO distance where you're doing 18 kilometers flat out. So um, my body always has kind of dealt quite well with just running long, but a bit slower. So yeah, we're hoping that again for this distance that that will be enough. And we touched on Taylor Nib and her impact that she could potentially have on your race. But do you think about anyone else going into the race? I mean, this is probably the strongest women's field we've, ha- we've had here in Kona. So you just can't rule anyone out. Um, but at the same time, like I said earlier, I just when I go into the race, my main focus is on myself. I think I manage so much more about self-management, making sure you're fueling at the right time, staying hydrated, just really keeping yourself in a good headspace so actually if you start to worry about your other competitors too much it can just play into kind of your race too much so really for me my focus has just always been about myself and making sure that I'm as strong as I can be on each discipline and I feel like we really have done that going into this race. And do you think that your best chance to win Kona is if the conditions are like sort of really hot, quite brutal, quite windy? Or do you think that you might perform better if it's a, a really nice fast day? Um, I think, you know what, we've we've had a mixed bag across the years in Kona. Actually, I would say the hardest conditions I've ever had on the island were when I raced as an age grouper here. And it was so hot, so windy. Um, and actually the last four years, I think, have been quite tame compared to that. So um, whatever the island dishes out, I think, bring it on like, I'm an athlete that does like it when it's quite tough and maybe that will play into my favor a little bit more. So now that you're on the island and and everyone's getting there and and the excitement for the race is building, how do you make sure that you don't sabotage your own race before like before you even get on the start line um, in sort of the last 7 to 14 days being on the island? Yeah, I guess it's it's a really hard balance because there's so many cool things going on on the island and I guess when you're one of the top pros in the field or or just any of the pros in the field, you kind of have to just stay away from all of the madness and the circus that Kona is. So at the moment, we kind of keep ourselves away from the town, just out of the busyness. And we will have a couple of days after the race to actually really enjoy the island. Um, But it, it is tough because you're in such an amazing place and you feel like you have to lock yourself away until the big party on race day. Um, But yeah, that's what helps you pay off and have have a really good race in the end. Does it feel any different over there with it just being the women's race? At the moment, no, but I do feel like um, most of the people on the island have been super friendly this year. You get the odd odd person that isn't. um, But yeah, I think maybe the vibes are slightly better because they, they know it's only the women racing this year. I don't know why that would change anything, but I think the main thing we will notice, obviously last year, we didn't have the men racing on the same day as us, but it was still amazing to watch them in person after we raced. Um, But I've always loved racing and actually having the men racing at the same time of us. And as we're climbing up to Harvey, like seeing the male pros coming down and you're like, who's in the lead? Like, it's just an extra thing that's going on that's a bit of excitement so I think it it definitely will be different this year just not having them here and do you think that obviously 
you've you said it, and I, I believe it as well, that this is the strongest women's field we've ever seen at Ironman World Championships. Do you think that a stronger field like suits you or do you think that it means that a, a big group of girls from behind can work together to sort of reduce the gap to you on the bike? Um, I think the only thing it really means is that if you win this race, you've won it in an absolutely amazing field. Like you can't be sitting there like, oh, well, I won the world title, but these people were missing. Like it's, it is an amazing field. So actually to be able to win it against these women, it just means even more. Um, I think we've always had packs form and people working together. So it wouldn't really change that too much, but I kind of foresee the field potentially being spread even more than usual this year, just with the strength and, and depth that we have. And maybe people pushing it harder than they normally would because they know how strong the field is and then that could lead to blow-ups and bigger gaps so yeah I think it's just going to be really exciting to be honest. Yeah I agree with that 100% for the record. Lucy I think something that a lot of people don't know about you and I didn't even realize about you is that you're like a real student of the sport you often will know people that no one else does and you'll be talking about someone as having a strength and, and you'll have to be like oh hang on who's that person again like you really do know like everyone who's racing in the female side of the sport and I assume you probably do in the male side as well with that being said last year Chelsea Sodaro sort of came from nowhere for a lot of people I don't think many people even knew who she was leading into the race and then she won it is there anyone this year that we should be looking out for who you think could have a big race that is sort of similar to Chelsea Sodaro from last year who we might not be thinking about leading into the race while we're focusing on all the big favorites I mean, there's probably always athletes in the field that are going to have kind of breakthrough or surprising performances, but kind of looking at the last few years and the likes of Chelsea, Daniela, Annie, myself, Taylor coming in, I think like they're some of the clear favourites to potentially take the win. But um, yeah, I haven't really studied the field too much this year. Like I said, it's definitely the strongest field we've ever had, but um yeah, who knows? There could be some breakthrough days on the big islands and Chelsea proved that you can still win it as a rookie. So um, yeah, you can't rule any athlete out. Bit of a good sign for Taylor Nib. Lucy, <laughs> with your swimming, right, this is something I really, like I loved when you came on our last podcast and you talked about it because it was so different from anything I've heard from anyone else is that you believe that if you do big swim blocks, it can really have benefit to the rest of your racing like you were talking about how probably the best race you've ever done is the Ironman 70.3 world champs in St George that where you had the fastest swim bike run of the day and you said that you you did a really big swim block leading into that earlier in the year did you follow that same approach this year where you've done that same really big swim block to get yourself ready for your your a race of the year or did you not do that yeah I think definitely obviously Swimming, I know that my body stays healthier. It's very little risk of getting injured during swimming, but overall it can massively boost my fitness. So um, I was lucky enough, obviously I live in London to swim at the um, aquatic centre. So I kind of just made the most of that in this block and did a pretty solid swim block. So um, yeah, it's amazing for my fitness, but I know that my body isn't going to break doing it. So who knows, hopefully it will pay off. What What is a big swim block for you? Like how many kilometers a week are you swimming on a big swim block? Or did you on this swim block specifically? Yeah, so on this block, we were looking in the range of like 30 to 50K a week. Um, wow. Which again, is still, still quite a lot less than when I was a swimmer. So I know my body can tolerate 
up upwards of 80k a week so um yeah we just we just kind of said you know what let's let's see what I can do amongst my um bike and run training I think that's the hardest thing is when you swim that volume is still trying to maintain the kind of volume and quality on the bike and run um but we seem to manage that quite well in this block that is just absolutely wild. There would I don't think there would be a single other athlete in the field who would have done a 50-kilometre swim week leading into it. I'd be surprised if there was. It's, it's pretty insane. Um, how much volume were you doing leading into this? Did you guys sort of approach high-volume training this for, for this block leading into Kona or did you do sort of a little bit more of a quality-focused block considering you weren't able to do much um, pre-Singapore? Yeah, we kind of just obviously leading into Singapore, I wasn't able to do as much as I would like. And we kind of saw that as like the the pre-block getting me ready to do my Kona block. So in this block, we was doing kind of 30 to 40 hours of training a week um, and also just maintaining quite some good intensity on that as well, um, which I was pretty happy with because usually when the, the volume goes that high, you kind of have to drop down the intensity. But I, I can always seem to hit intensity quite well in the swim. So that kind of was able to keep that pretty good throughout this. So how many weeks in a row would you have hit 30 to 40 hours a week? So we had like a six week block for this, um, for this kind of Kona build. Um, so yeah, six solid weeks. Wow. A non-injured Lucy Charles Barclay, 30 to 40 hours a week for six weeks. I mean, I'm like, this, this conversation suddenly making me think, this yeah, I'm confident now because like what we saw you do last year was pretty 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 crazy, really. Like you had far from an ideal lead in, and you almost like you were sort of the only real person who was challenging Chelsea in the end last year. I mean, yeah, surely your confidence is sky high. Yeah, I think it definitely my confidence is is pretty good going into this race. Last year I really did surprise myself. Like I hadn't had a huge block going in and I'd obviously had the pretty bad injury that had taken a, a large chunk of time out of my season. Um, I think the big change this year with my injury was we kind of almost refused to say that it even happened. It was like, I'm going to do everything that I can around the injury because I guess it was it was almost a worse injury because it was a full break of the bone. But at the same time, when you fully break a bone, your body knows that it's happened. So it kind of can heal faster. Whereas with the hip injury that I had last year, the longest part was actually my body realizing that there was a fracture there. Um, so yeah, I'm confident that we've had a, a much bigger block leading into the race this year and who knows what can happen. Lucy, thanks so much for jumping on and chatting um, about, about the Ironman World Championships. I'm bloody excited now. And like, I think the biggest thing you've done, like your legacy so far in the sport, you know, you've obviously had a heap of success, but your legacy is you've changed the way that women race Kona. Like Daniela Reef was doing her thing and you're the person, I believe, who's responsible for changing the race dynamics to the point where it became much harder for Daniela Reef to just go and win the race the, the same way she always has. And knowing that you're fit, knowing Taylor Nibs in the race, like it's just so exciting because we know with you in that field, the race is going to be exciting. You're going to be out there off the front. Like I just love the way you race and yeah, this is... Filled me, filled me with confidence. Like, I don't know how you're feeling, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's really, it's really made me excited to, to watch the race on Saturday. So thank you for coming on. Good luck. Don't crash your bike. Don't, don't get injured. Don't do anything silly. Don't eat any bad food. Yeah. It's bubble wrap time. For yeah. Sure. Bubble wrap time. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Lucy. Thanks again. Good luck.
Oh, thank you very much. Cheers, Jack. I'm really excited to be able to finally talk about something I've been keeping myself for quite a while, and that's Precision Fuel and Hydration's newest product, the Flow Gel. The Flow Gel has been designed to fix a problem we've all had at some point of how do we carry enough fuel for our long rides and races? Because we've all had to stop at gas stations or corner stores on long rides because we've run out or go to an aid station during a race to take on a product that we've never tried, never tested and don't really want to use but have been forced to. That's where the Flow Gel comes in. The Flow Gel is 300 grams of carbohydrate in one gel. It's a slightly different formula to their regular gel though, which is where the name Flow comes from because it flows out of each gel pouch really, really easily. And because of this, they've also released a Flow Bottle, which is a bottle that has a scale on the side so you can squeeze the Flow Gel into it and like chuck it into your bottle cage on the bike or carry it on a run. And then as you drink from it, you'll know exactly how many grams of carbohydrates you've taken on of the 300 grams that you started with. You don't even have to add water because they spent so much time engineering the perfect mix of, of the gel. Each flow gel contains the equivalent of 10 gels, but it's resealable. So you don't have to use it all at one time if you don't want to. And it is basically the exact same gel as my favorite precision fuel and hydration product, the PF90 gel, just prepared slightly differently so it flows more easily. Leon Chevalier um, was testing on the run-up to coming fifth at the Ironman World Championships in Nice, and he said that he used to have to squeeze 10 gels into a bottle before a race, but now he can just pour a flow gel into a flow bottle, and that saves him time, and um, it just helps him keep, tab keep tabs on exactly what he's getting on board. He just loves how efficient and convenient it is and said that it really did change fueling for him on the lead-up and race day uh, at the Ironman World Championships this year, so that's huge coming from him. Flow Gel is available on pre-order now exclusively on Precision Fuel and Hydration's website, which I put the link to in the show notes. It'll be shipping most places by mid-October, um, right in time for the Aussie and Kiwi summer of long rides and for the rest of the world, probably right on time for uh, your long trainer sessions. Remember to use the discount code HTT23 for 15% off when you do decide to go on pre-order some. I'm now joined by Lucy's partner, Reese Charles Barclay, and I've got Reese on the podcast because I really wanted to ask him some questions as well. Because sometimes leading into the race, athletes they might not want to sort of talk about the the nitty gritty, whereas their team can often be better for that. And you know, Reese Charles Barclay, he is he is Team Charles Barclay in a lot of ways. Like he he runs almost everything behind the scenes and. Um, yeah, me and a bit of a funny story, Reese, that I want to tell people about is that me and you have already recorded a podcast together, but we didn't end up releasing it. But it was amazing because you gave so much insight into what you guys are doing behind the scenes that I just I, I couldn't not have you on again. <laughs> um, so so leading into to this race, mate. So how is Lucy going? How's the vibe in the team? Um, has there been any setbacks or hiccups? Um, yes, yeah, going really really well. Um the obvious setback hiccup was the foot break earlier in the year, but happy to report since then, uh, since Singapore, at least everything's been good. We both had a slight cold coming home from Singapore. I mean, we didn't have that illness that was going around that everyone seemed to catch, but we did have a cold. Singapore belly. Yeah. Singapore belly. Fortunately, we didn't have that. We, we did have a minor cold. Um, but other than that, everything's been, been pretty good. I mean, we couldn't ask for more, to be honest. And so what's your role this sort of past four weeks in the, so Lucy just talked about the six week block that she did where she was doing 30 to 40 hours a week. What's your role there? Yeah, I'm, I'm basically full time support for absolutely every session on and, and, and outside of sessions for Lucy, really just trying to make her life as comfortable and as easy. I mean, it's, it's grueling training. 
um simulating heat indoors as well so i'm responsible for making sure the room's at the right temperature lucy's getting the uh, correct nutrition and hydration in uh, the recovery that goes into that um making sure she's eating the right food basically just just full-time help assistance in any way shape or form i can You've been there for the last four Ironman World Championships where Lucy has, has come second place. You were there for the one before that as well, obviously, as a, not as a professional. But compared to the last four where Lucy's gone to, to Kona and come second, how do you think she, she is um, form-wise? I think each year we go into the race, uh, aside from last year, last year was a very different year, but most years Lucy makes some significant progression on, on something. Uh, to do with swim, bike, run. So we go to Kona with expectations to be slightly better than the year before, Um, whether that be like improvements in aerodynamics, which obviously from Lucy's first years as a triathlete to now, there's significant improvements, uh, improvements in her overall running ability, which has always been her Achilles heel, so to speak, and, and swimming actually sometimes varies but yeah she's going in with with good swim form i would say so how this compares to the previous years i would say she's on paper probably in a 2021 shape where she was you know very very strong on everything um it's difficult to say with an iron man because like lucy said previously anything can happen. It's such a long day. Like you could be in the best shape ever, but if you miss one bottle of nutrition or, you know, you, you overheat it slightly in one section, it's very difficult to bring your core temperature down and it's very difficult to play catch up with nutrition. Um, so you don't always see the best athlete winning. You probably see the best athlete who has had the best self-care throughout the day winning. And I think Chelsea is a very good example of that. She obviously, really 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 took care of herself all throughout the day on the swim and the run uh, on the bike sorry which gave her the the position to showcase her ability on the run and had she messed up the bike or overbiked or didn't get the right nutrition on the bike she probably wouldn't have had the stellar run that she did so yeah it's a really really difficult one to say where lucy's at for an Ironman but if everything goes right and all the stars align then yeah she's definitely in probably the best shape she's been in for for a very long time and so it's obviously probably a bit harder for Lucy to talk about her competitors and I assume a little bit easier for you because you are someone who looks at the sport so much and and so closely like like you 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 really do as a team in general um you guys but Taylor Nib what do you think her impact on Lucy's race will be um it's going to be one of them where Lucy will need to measure her own effort level with Taylor. Like if, if I mean, I can see a, a world where Taylor swims on Lucy's or the front pack's feet. She runs through transition really quickly and then you never see Taylor again. And that's the end of it. Um, or there'll be a scenario where they sort of either a small gap to Taylor or, you know, they come out onto the bike all together and I mean, to be honest, like it is an unknown for Taylor to do this distance, but of course she is, you know, she's up there with the best cyclists in the world, let alone triathletes. So you would fully expect her to be playing to her strengths on the bike. And for Lucy, I guess that means that 
she's either going to be able to to live with it or she's just got to do what she she's very good at doing and say, yeah, fair play. That's too hard for me. I'm going to measure my efforts and and see it through until the end of the run. Because at the end of the day, you can, you know, you can be running, you can be in the lead by 20 minutes. And we've seen some absolutely spectacular blow ups in Kona. I'm not saying that will happen, but it will happen to Lucy if she tries to bike with Taylor and the, the pace is too hot. So yeah, it's going to, it's going to change the dynamic just as when Lucy entered the scene and, and started swimming three, four minutes quicker than the pack that changed the, the scene. It's exciting. It's brilliant. You've got, you know, the two best cyclists in, in the history of the sport in the field with Daniela Reef and now Taylor You've got probably the two best runners in the sport with Chelsea and Annie and a handful of the best swimmers in the sport, all in the same big melting pot of insane conditions. Um, yeah, it, it's literally going to be one of the most exciting Konas, I think, ever, to be honest. So I agree with this. And I think this is what makes this race so like fascinating, but equally hard to predict. How do you think that Taylor is going to come into the race and and overbike and potentially get to T2 with a massive lead but have have done it in a way that makes it almost impossible for her to have a good marathon? Or do you think the the opposite, that she'll go within herself and play it super conservatively, like knowing that she she doesn't really know how she's going to feel um, once she gets off the bike? No, I think I think they would, you know, they I don't think they would just come and do this race without knowing what they're capable of doing like she's not the type of person to just or her team wouldn't allow her to just recklessly go and hammer it and go and get the bike course record and see what happens um i think it'll be calculated and she'll know very much what she her numbers are and 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 where that puts her in in relation to other people i guess um the biggest unknown i guess for her is the conditions and the nutrition and uh, over that duration like you can trap you can practice it in training but you, you know you're never really going to go and do an ironman effort level in training in that heat and until you're out there doing it you don't truly know if it's going to work or not um and sometimes that formula is built up through trial and error over years of racing so i think i watched uh, daniela reef's interview with bob babbitt the other day and she said taylor's only weakness is her inexperience everything else she is you know, up there on the swim, obviously the fastest or arguably fastest compared to Daniel on the bike. And she showcased that she can run extremely well over the middle distance. And I don't see any reason why she couldn't run well over the full distance. So for the other girls, yeah, absolutely. They're going to have to keep her in, in check. Like for the ladies who are swimming five minutes down on the Lucy group to then have Taylor potentially put 10 minutes into them on the bike that's a 15 minute deficit. Like even if Taylor has a, a quote unquote slowish run, they're going to have to run 15 minutes into her. So it's going to put a hell of a lot of pressure on, on everyone, to be honest. And you've been Lucy's head coach. You've also now sort of taken on that role as like a, a co-coach with Dan Larang in a way. What, what impact do you think it might have on Taylor's race, knowing that she sort of had that bit of change in her camp like left her coach Ian O'Brien doesn't have a head coach at the moment or at least not one that she's announcing publicly what what impact do you think that might have on her race just with like the the continuity going into it I mean to be honest I didn't know any of any of that so I haven't really 
thought about it. I didn't know any of that information. Um, but like I say, I think, I mean, her mum's racing here and obviously she's done, I think she's done several Ironmans before. So she'll have her mum advising her at the very least. I'm sure she's got an abundance of people advising her. Um, I don't think, I don't, I don't think she can lose anything really. She's in a win-win situation. Like, and, that, and that's a good place to be when you, you know, she's, she's obviously like the one everyone's talking about and and she has had phenomenal success at all distances apart from this one she's never done it um but yeah the the expectation for her is 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 win win isn't it either go go all in all in and see what happens and you you either win it or you don't but no one was really expecting you to win it on your first try so yeah i think Good luck to her. I think it's like Lucy said, it's a it's a ballsy move and it's it's brave. And you you've got to tip your hat to someone who's willing to do that. And uh it's definitely gonna have an impact on the race. And you sort of mentioned a couple of others, like you talked about Daniela Reef, who just like always, this seems to keep happening with Daniela. She'll like get forgotten about, get written off, have an amazing race. Get forgotten about, get written off, have an amazing race. And it's it has happened with like the St. George at Ironman World Championships and then again at Challenge Roth this year. What version of Daniela do you think we're going to see? Will we get the one who, you know, comes seventh or eighth or fifteenth at Kona, or do you think we'll get the one like we saw at St George or at Challenge Roth? Uh, I think you'll see the back to her old ways, Daniela Reef. To be honest, I know she's been struggling with with illnesses um, this year, and she's had some personal issues, which are obviously horrible to deal with. But I think she's you never write her off. Like if she's on her day, she's the one to beat hands down um all throughout Lucy's career she's had backwards and forwards with Daniela and when Daniela's Daniela's on her day she's just formidable and been the driving factor for Lucy to train as hard as she does for 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 most of her career um so yeah I'd never write her off and I would say that if she's having her day then all eyes on her and she's probably the one to beat I look at Anne Haug as the favorite in this race what do you think about that yeah, I mean, when you look at the form all year, and Annie's been incredible. Like she's just been basically flawless with everything. Like her running in uh, Ibiza was incredible. Singapore as well. Yeah, she had a well. She had. I think she had the fastest run split in Ibiza. Yeah. Um, she she was phenomenal in Roth. Obviously, overshadowed by the greatest. Ironman distance performance of all time by Daniela, but she was still the second fastest of all time, I think. So, yeah, I mean, if Annie comes into T2 with, within five minutes of anyone, I think she's probably quids in for the win. Um, but this race in particular with Taylor in it, and it could it could put more pressure on Annie because she's going to be on the back foot on the swim. And, I mean, she's been having incredibly good bike splits as well. So... Yeah, you you never know with her, and and she's got a fantastic coach as well. So um, I'm sure they're very well prepared. Do you guys ever talk about that? Given that that so for people who don't know, Dan Larang is the coach of Annie Haug and Lucy Charles Barclay. Do, is any conversation ever had, or is it sort of one of those things that you know is happening but you just never talk about? Yeah, well, I mean, I never I never asked Dan, hey, what's Annie doing? Or <laughs> I. I yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure she doesn't do the same the same like to be honest we spend a very much a very lot of time with Annie and uh not not with her personally but she's always in Club La Santa and so are we so 
Yeah. I mean, actually, to be honest, we never actually see her training. We always laugh saying, what does Annie do? <laughs> we never see her training, but I think she does. She trains always at different hours to what, you know, me and Lucy train at very strange hours. So I think um, we never really cross paths very much when we're training, but yeah, it's a bit of an unwritten rule that we don't probe each other on uh, what the other party is doing. So when you say you and Lucy train at strange hours, can you talk to me about that? Yeah, so me and Lucy don't typically, not always. Um, more recently, we have been training in a routine, but when we're on camp, we train as and when we feel ready to do so. Um, so we'll never set an alarm clock, for example, or we'll never get stressed about having to do a training session at a certain hour. That that becomes different when you've got a very long day, then you have to, because otherwise you run out of you know hours in the day. Um, but yeah, when we're on training camp, we pretty much train when we're ready to do so and that's that's another one of my jobs like sometimes I'll look at what Dan's put on the program and then I'll be looking at Lucy yawning and go right okay we're obviously not going to do that today or I can just tell by her body language that she's tired and we have to mix things up slightly or postpone or swap um so yeah that's kind of always my little micro adjusting things that I'm doing um but being back home because we have to, we're governed by the lane hire. We we then have to be in routine because you know you have to be at swimming at, uh, I think it was six a.m. to eight a.m. every morning, and and then the day sort of follows on from there. Both work well, but we have to sort of commit to one or the other. Um, when we're on training camp, you know you've got all day every day to train. You've got no distractions, so I don't see the point in setting your alarm clock at six o'clock in the morning to go swimming when you can have an extra three hours in bed and then go swimming at nine o'clock when the sun's up that's uh you could say it's lazy but then the you know the day just finishes a little bit later for us rather than rather than earlier um so yeah we're not always regimented and strict on our routine like like we have been in the past if you want to take your swimming seriously you need to be wearing form goggles there's a reason why so many of the world's best triathletes use them in their training from the sport's best swimmer in aaron royal to the likes of christian blumenfeld and gustav eden Using them in training makes your swim sessions so much better. You can see the pace you're swimming the whole time, so it makes doing intervals and sessions that much easier and more specific. You don't have to be trying to use your watch and fiddling around with it or looking up at the clock between every, every interval. You don't have to be swimming and guessing how fast you're going. Using form goggles literally takes so much of the annoying parts of swimming away and makes things less confusing and more professional. I describe them to people who haven't used them before as the equivalent of using a GPS watch when you run and ride. And we all know how much better that makes your running and riding training. So use the discount code HTT15 to get 15% off your form goggles and see why everyone who takes their triathlon seriously chooses to use them. You seriously won't regret it. They change your swimming training for the better and you'll be glad you decided to try them finally. Chelsea Sodaro, we she sort of came out of nowhere last year. Lucy obviously came second to her. I'm hearing rumours that she's in good shape despite having a bit of a up and down year she looked really good in Singapore where she came third and Lucy came fifth I thought they both looked really good to be honest where do you guys see Chelsea and or maybe where do you specifically see Chelsea yeah so Chelsea's a an, another one similar to Annie in in regards of like if she comes into T2 close enough to strike then she's gonna be you know one to be I mean this is the the fascinating thing isn't it you've got people who could get a massive lead on the bike. You've got Daniela who could come out the swim and bike all the way through. And then you've got the likes of Annie and Chelsea who you can't 
you can't let get too near the front. So everyone's going to have their own cards to play. And I think that's where Lucy is in a little bit of a, a, a better position because she's on, she's out in the front from the gun um, and she can measure her effort and sort of react as and when she hasn't got to uh, try and force anything on anyone else because she's not in that position where she knows, okay, well, I'm, I'm now 10 minutes down or five minutes down on the swim. I have to get to the front of the race ahead of Annie because otherwise there's no point coming into T2 with Annie because she's obviously going to run quicker or Chelsea. That's the sort of position where Danielle is in. I think she has to bike through everyone. Um, in saying that, you know, Daniel has done some extremely good runs as well, but I think Annie and Chelsea are just that little bit quicker. Um, Taylor is the unknown factor here. She, she, we don't know what she, we know what she's capable of, but we don't know what her game plan is at all. And then the other ladies, I guess they all, they all, all have their own game plan, but Lucy will be witnessing their game plan unfold as it happens. Um, which is why I think she's always been, I'm just going to focus on myself because there's literally 40, 50 other women in the field, all with their own game plan. How could you possibly calculate for every single move that's happening on the field whilst you're out there? It just becomes too stressful. And I think that's why we've always just gone with the approach of just do your own thing and make sure you know, stick within your parameters. You know that you're doing nothing too silly um, or, or, or the opposite, going too easy. And it, it's played out well for us most of the times we've done it. And I think ultimately everyone with their game plan um, will have to adjust it. I mean, what's that Mike Tyson saying? Is you, get, you can have a game plan until you get hit in the face. I think that's probably true with everyone. Like you, you might be having your game plan to come out front pack on the swim and all of a sudden you find yourself in the second pack. Then what do you do? You have to adjust it. Um, so, yeah, what we all think might happen probably won't happen. And that's that's why we watch it. That's sport. That's what makes it interesting. It'd be boring if uh, we all submitted our predictions and then it all happened that way, wouldn't it? Like we we pretty much know who's going to be in the mix, but we watch it to see the the unexpected happen. Exactly. Like we would have all thought last year that the race was Annie Hugs to win coming off the bike because she was in the exact position that you're talking about now, um, where if she's in that position she'll probably win whereas Chelsea Sadara went on to run six minutes faster than her so it really is like Kona is the most unpredictable race in the sport um it's exciting for Lucy though isn't it because it's the first race where she will actually be impacted by other people's racing I think I don't think she's ever really had a year like that and she really has been forced in a way to race her own race because she has to whereas I think Taylor Nib being there maybe the first time we're going to see a proper ally I know we had Fenella Langridge a little bit and um, sure, Daniela Reef rode up close to her, but yeah, I think this might be the first year that Lucy actually has an ally out, out there on the on the bike. Yeah, I think it, it, you know the PTO racing that Lucy's done. I think where you're racing at that intensity and you've got the seventy point three and PTO specialists in the field, you can pretty much say that you're. Lucy's been under pressure, you know, like she's been out of the swim sometimes with, well, actually in the most recent race, she, she wasn't out first out of the water and the girls weren't far behind. And in an Ibiza, she had people chasing her really quickly. So she's been under a pressure a lot of time, but never really in a full distance race. Has she had a, a true ally? Like, I mean, it's probably not fair to say that like Fenella was um, with her for all the ride last year. And I think Lauren Brandon has been there a few times before. So it's probably not fair to say that, but definitely 
for the first time, Lucy's got someone who's a stronger cyclist with her or near her at the front. Uh, that's never happened before. Uh, Lucy's never been in a position where she comes out with a large group of very strong cyclists. And, it, you know, there's no doubt about it when you've got five or six very strong cyclists all working together or potentially not working together, but riding a pace line, they're going to be benefits had from that, which Lucy's never really had the benefit of. So, yes, it will change things and it's exciting. It adds another layer of complexity to trying to predict the way the race will go. Um we just have to wait and see, I guess. It's, like I say, it's going to be one of the most exciting races to watch unfold. Yeah, and it'd just be exciting to see a big front group because we haven't had that in Lucy's time. Like, she's she's literally changed the race and she's she's been racing by, like, you know, by herself or with, with one other person. It would be exciting if, like, Lucy came out of the water and there was four or five people there in the shape of, you know, Fenella, um, Beck, Lauren Brown and, and Taylor Nib. Like, that would – if that happened, you'd you'd almost – even though she's got more people with her, you'd you'd almost be thinking, oh, this actually suits Lucy more, you know, for the back end of the race. Like this is actually probably a great thing for Lucy. So that's quite an exciting dynamic to picture, and 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 actually could be the like the big factor for Lucy's race going that one step better. I think. Um, I, like I actually think it probably doesn't favour Lucy if we see her coming by herself with a with a big gap to everyone. What what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think. I mean, energy preservation from being in a group on the swim and a, a group on the bike is is considerable um i can see a world where three like like you just mentioned three or four or potentially five swimmers all come out as a group which for from memory i don't think has ever happened like lucy's always either been out in front or had one yeah just one person with her so Yes, it would change everything. And yes, it would be favorable in terms of energy preservation. Then it adds another layer of you've got to be careful not to get a drafting penalty. And it adds a layer of also you're then not truly sticking to your pace. You're going with the pace, which again, Lucy has had experience with from the PTO racing, thankfully, but never over a, a long distance race. Um, so yeah, it, it changes everything for everyone, I think. And and definitely is going to have some some people going to benefit from it some people won't benefit from it we haven't talked about cat matthews either she's sort of the last one i want to touch on with you specifically before i, I wrap up with a, a couple of questions about the the rest of the week and and your role how, how do you see cat matthews playing out this uh how do you see cat matthews race playing out yeah again uh, another chelsea starro any type of person she's gonna have probably one of the strongest bikes i think she's she's definitely had um i think in st george she went with uh with, with daniela reef if i remember rightly for a little bit not for too long but she was there she was the last one with her yeah she was the she was the last lady standing i think um <laughs> and and then went on to run really well i think annie was behind her on that day and couldn't quite catch her as well so she she's got the run pedigree i think she's run a couple of sub 250s Correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong there, but I th I'm sure she has. So she's definitely another one who could potentially come into T2 and and run away with it, a bit like Chelsea and Annie. Um, I think this is her first Kona. I'm not sure of that either. I don't I don't know if she's raced here as an age grouper or um, potentially Mark Matthews has. I'm not I'm not sure on that, but she's definitely going to be one to watch as well and if if she gets too close to the front or at the front then yeah she's going to be a force to reckon with 
And so now for the for the rest of the week leading into the race on Saturday, what do you do? How do you how do you make sure that Lucy gets there and is in like the the ten out of ten headspace, you know, physical space to have the best race that she can possibly have? What's your job? What's your role as as that sort of number one support for an athlete leading into the race? I think fortunately being in Hawaii, it's super chill here. Like you only got to look around and it's just relaxing. Um, so I think that sort of lends to the tapering, um, as for training, it's just reassuring Lucy. She's done everything she needs to do. I think I'm, I'm back and forth with Dan daily. Um, obviously there's 11 hour time, actually a 12 hour time difference to him. So not on real time, but I update him daily with what's going on. Um, yeah, it's just about putting your feet up, chilling, getting the set, the last few sessions done last few equipment checks which obviously is important make sure everything's running smoothly and um, eat healthily get some early nights in and basically just get yourself to the start line is is the main is the main focus the, the hard work now is is done so it's it's just about delivering delivering lucy to the start line in the shape and form to have her best performance okay so to wrap it up mate i, I want you to tell this story Tell people about the podcast, man, you did together that that never saw the light of day. Tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, last, I guess it was March, April time, something like that. Yeah, something um, like April, I think. We did a podcast where I was announcing that I will not be racing professionally anymore. And we did a whole podcast on as to why that was. And I think it's pretty obvious from this podcast that my focus is, is elsewhere. Um, it's almost... In fact, it is impossible to race or compete at the level required whilst I'm also managing and helping Lucy with her career. So I made that decision then. But then I had a last little bit, maybe I should just do one more race <laughs> to finish things off. So I text Jack. I was like, don't put that out yet. I'm going to race one more time. <laughs> but I didn't in the end. I didnn't end up racing. Exactly. We, um, well, Lucy broke her foot, which meant that I couldn't then go and do the race I wanted to do because... <laughs> It, everything was just up in the air and then I did say I picked a race I was like right, I'm going to do Ironman Italy and then uh, Lucy was like oh but I want to race Singapore I was like, <laughs> I can't do everything so in the end I've made a decision final you heard it here probably fair <laughs> if it wasn't obvious already that I am not racing professionally anymore um, I will still do age group racing next year I can't race age group this year because I've still got professional license but next year I'll do some age group racing once the PTO announced their schedule, I will know roughly what races I can do in between Lucy's um, busy, busy schedule, which I, I won't say too much about. But yeah, there it is. That's why the podcast never came out. And maybe we should do another one at some point with as to why and delving deeper into that if your viewers would think that's interesting. Mate, I just kept waiting all year. I'm like, because <laughs> it was a great podcast. It was actually like... It was genuinely one of the better, better podcasts I've ever done. I think I even said that to you. Like, that was, I think I remember saying, like, telling you that was like podcast gold. That was like an amazing episode. And then, then I'm like, I was getting ready to release it literally that week. And you're like, nah, scrap it. Can't release. I'm like, fucking hell. That would have been a good episode. And then so I've been waiting all year to see like, oh, yeah, you're going to do a race. Been waiting to see you announce it. Never come. Still hasn't come. And so in the end, we just should have released it. Yeah. I mean, I think... I mean, I haven't, I've raced once this year and it wasn't very good anyway, but to be honest, the, the standard, it's like the women's racing at the moment, but the, the men's racing probably over the last three or four years has just gone from 
It's bonkers, yeah, the, mate. The standard is super high, but the depth is insane. Yeah. And I think unless you're, an, you know, like completely wholeheartedly full on dedicated to that, you you just you, you're kidding yourself if you think you could compete with that. You know, um, and I see it with Lucy's training. Like I would need what I am to Lucy, someone doing that for me to even have half the chance to to get to that level. And we just don't have that. Um, and that's not an excuse. I mean, to be to be honest, it's it's a personal decision. I get a lot of enjoyment and pleasure from helping Lucy and seeing her perform at the highest level. Um, yeah, I didn't come into triathlon to be a professional triathlete. I just entered it on, I entered my first Ironman on the whim and just been riding this wave of, oh, what's next? What's next? What's next? From the beginning, really. And yeah, I'm I'm content with what I've done and I'm, I'm very happy with how far I've come and I've, I've still got some smaller little goals which i'd like to tick off um non-triathlon related like marathon times and things like that but yeah as for racing professionally i have nothing but respect for the the people that do it i've, I've been in it i've seen how difficult it is um and it is is just insane the standard that it's gone to and it's only going to get more and more and more so yeah that's that's where that's where i'm at with my decision and i'm happy with it we might have to uh, bring you on board as a now that you've got a lot more time. Now that you've officially retired, you're a great podcaster. Might be a bit of a future there <laughs> for you somewhere. Maybe a co-host of a series somewhere along the line. Uh, I think having listened to the amount of trouble Mark Matthews gets himself into over the years, I'll probably say I'll, I'll be an occasional podcaster, but not a regular one. <laughs> I'll work you. I'll work you around over the next six months or so. Um, <laughs> You just, one thing I can't let just like sort of uh, go by the wayside there is you talked about Lucy's schedule next year and the the PTO races. Does that mean that, have you guys signed one of the first contracts? We haven't had anything and I can't say anything, but I will say that <laughs> there's definitely going to be a lot of racing next year. That's all I can say. Six to seven races. Will you be doing them all? Maybe. Maybe. Um, I, think, I think Lucy's main focused next year will definitely be the PTO series. Um, I'm pretty sure that if Lucy focuses on that distance, I mean, she hasn't showed her potential at that distance yet at all. I would say like that suits her so much with the 2k swim, slightly shorter on the run, really high intensity. We saw it when Lucy raced Leeds, the uh, world triathlon um, Olympic distance. She had a few weeks to focus on that and came fifth at a first ever Olympic distance race drafting like terribly she was getting dropped on every single corner and getting back on and that was off a few weeks of practice at that shorter intensity so I think if we really focused on that uh, PTO distance it it probably would be the optimal distance for Lucy with her genetic makeup and her, her ability to push really really high power for shorter duration um, and we've actually had that lab tested as well like Ironman distance isn't the distance that Lucy's genetics sort of leans to. She's she's actually probably more of a a middle or an Olympic distance athlete if you look at her makeup. So yeah, I think it's exciting. It's it's you know we absolutely loved Singapore, even though it wasn't. I mean, it was a it was a difficult road to get there, and we knew the backs were against the wall with it anyway. But we thoroughly enjoyed it. PTO put on a absolutely brilliant brilliant race. They looked after us like the best we've ever been looked after. So she's really motivated towards that. Um, but obviously all eyes on next week and we'll worry about what comes next year after that. Yeah. I think um, 
like physiologically, yes, but psychologically as well. I, I don't know. I don't know if you watched the women's race back, but during the commentary, I I was talking about Lucy and how I just think she's the like mentally hardest person maybe in triathlon. Like she just really is. She's just hard as nails, and I think that. That PTO distance, it suits people like that. Like, just suits people who are just tough. Like, you know, Ash Gentle does so well at it. She's like, she's maybe, I don't know, she's pretty similar to Lucy, but like just hard as nails mentally. Uh, and people might not look at Ash Gentle and think that, but she like literally is. And everyone looks at Lucy and, and, and knows that. So I think I'm with you there that like if Lucy focused on that because of, yes, her physiology, but her mentality, she's just so bloody tough. And I think that's why despite the the physiology you talk about that's why she can do so well at Ironman because when things get tough like that marathon she just like it just still suits her because it, it does suit the mentally tough and she just is yeah as hard as nails and she never beats herself does she like she's she's always like she is the reason that she does so well even if she's not in the best shape like last year or even if the her physiology doesn't really lend itself to the Ironman distance like she won't beat herself because she's so tough yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the other main things in her training is making sure she doesn't, you know, we don't let her go too hard or too far because she will just, you know, she's like a a terrier. She'll just keep going at it until she grinds herself into a pit. <laughs> so yeah, we, yeah. we she's definitely got that that switch where she'll she'll rev to, you know, absolutely insane limits, and it's always reminds me of like you know when you see videos of Lionel crying on the turbo I think I've seen Lucy <laughs> cry on the turbo a few times as well but it's it's just it's an ability that some have and I'm sure most triathletes have it but Lucy definitely has that grit and we've seen that like multiple times when she's racing she's she's come back and uh, yeah when even when Sarah Crowley overtook her like I think it was Dave Scott who said to me that's the only time I've ever seen someone get overtaken and come back round in Kona like it never happens um and last year like Annie was literally 10 meters or 12 meters behind Lucy for about 10 miles and I was thinking at any moment now Annie's gonna get her Annie's gonna get her and Lucy just gritted and you know that I can't imagine how much pressure that is seeing Annie behind you every time you look over your shoulder you can literally see the beads of sweat on her head and she's not getting you so yeah she's tough she's very tough oh mate you saying that just gave me chills I literally got chills thinking about that battle that Lucy and Aunt Hag had last year that was that like personified what we're talking about no one else like no one else in that position would have held on the way Lucy did it was just fucking insane honestly um <laughs> awesome mate let's let's wrap it up there that was brilliant um yeah uh thanks heaps for coming on and it's official you've announced your retirement even if it was not uh not in the way we were going to do it last time but hey well <laughs> done on your career as well mate and, and everything you've achieved in the sport considering where you came from which really you had no no real right to achieve anything in the sport but you still did so um well done uh, on a great career and well done on everything that you've you've achieved achieved as a team and hopefully this this weekend you know, you guys can, as a team, take that next step and achieve the ultimate, which in our sport is winning the Ironman World Championships. Thanks, Jack. Yeah. Um, sorry I left it so long, but yeah, thanks for officially announcing and thanks for your time as well. When it comes to picking what tri suit to wear on race day, there's literally only one option, and that's Win Republic. Win Republic have just launched their brand new collection, the World Champs 2023 collection, to celebrate the Men's Ironman World Championships in Nice and the Women's Ironman World Championships in Kona. 
It's a strictly limited release collection and uses Win Republic's latest technology in the Lukeo Plus Aero Tri-Suit. It's their best-selling, fastest tri-suit to date and will be used by the defending Ironman World Champion Kona this year, Chelsea Cesaro, for that exact reason. Head to Win Republic's website to check it out and use the discount code TTH15 for 15% off anything you buy. 